is risen. Yes, amen. It is a good, good day. We celebrate our Savior, our Lord, conquering death on our behalf. Amen? Well, hey, if you're joining us here today for the first time, my name is Shane, and it is my privilege to serve here at First Baptist Church, and we have had an incredible week of pondering the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and here we come to today. We said all week, Sunday is coming, and here it is. I want to uh, share you, with you a story, um, but I want to ask you a question first. How many of you sometimes doubt. There's some laughter there, so some of you are some real people, right? We have doubts, and I think it's interesting that oftentimes, even as a pastor, sometimes I have doubt, and uh, I ask the question, why do we doubt that God has gone before us? Why do we doubt that God can do the things that he said he would do, but yet we still sometimes struggle with doubt. See, when I was a college pastor, I got asked to do a, a missions trip to a smaller church, inner city Dallas, Dallas, Texas. And we were invited to come over and to help this church do different things like homeless ministry and outreach in the community. And I was uh, young and uh, not so smart. I'm a little older and still not so smart. But I thought when I was going to go on this mission trip that I was going to be the hero of the day that God was really blessed to have me on the team. And as I, as I was going there, I was like, man, I can't wait to help all of these really needy people. And then I got there. And the first thing we do when we go and serve in Dallas is we go sit in a church service in this inner city town. And, and I'm standing there and we begin to worship with this church. And I look around and I'm dumbfounded. Because when I look around, I see hands raised. I see people praising. I see people lifting their voices to the Lord. And as I look around, they're all bearing the scars of their old life, but they're living out their redeemed life with us. As I look around, I see the scars of, of, of lives lived in prostitution. And some of them past had been pimps. Some of them had been drug dealers. Some of them. But they weren't just church attenders. Church, they were the leaders. They were the elders. And they were now the deacons because Jesus rose from the grave. Their life could be changed. Why did I doubt when I was going in there, I was going to need, they were going to need me, but instead God revealed to me on that day, Shane, I'm just giving you a picture that I have gone before you. I don't need you. I just want you to see what I'm doing and I want you to rejoice because he is the one who can move the stone from that tomb. We've church, but we've been going through the book of Mark, and the whole purpose of the book of Mark is the, the author wants those listening, those reading to the book of Mark, to be forced to make a decision. And that decision is, who do you say that Jesus is? Because that question has everything to do with eternity and life today, doesn't it? So we've been going through this journey, and today we're going to fast forward to the end of the book of Mark. And so if you got a Bible, turn to the Mark, Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 8. <clears throat> and keep in mind 
that the whole purpose of this passage is to end abruptly so you would be forced to say, who do you believe that Jesus is? And the question for us that this passage is going to kind of force us to process is how do we today respond to the empty grave? How do we respond to the empty grave? We found out thus far in Mark, uh, Jesus is a lot of things. But today we're going to find out that he's the one that the grave couldn't hold. He's the one that will do what he says he will do. Uh, your Bible brackets or something should say that this uh, that there are some of the earliest manuscripts of the New Testament that don't have passage. I believe that this is originally where the book of Mark ended. And I think it ended here for a purpose because it's like a who is of you What's coming? Usually, jazz. Most can't hear positions. They the intricacy. See, the same is true. And we begin to train in godly. We evolve it. See what I'm saying? Moving, then that changes our attitude about every day. We approach. When on the day that should have been day we move in our day, chamber has Every, uh, every setback then, when we have this kind of attitude, every setback becomes an opportunity for God to show his provision and wisdom. How many of you treat road bumps in life like that? Like, oh man, my, my tire busted. Woo! What's God going to do here? Oh man, I got to go to Walmart again and face all the crazies. Woo! What's God going to do here? Oh man, I have to ask for help because I'm broken and I'm in need. Woohoo! What's God going to do here? You see, then we begin to change our attitude to one of faith instead of one of doubting. See, the lesson for us is to walk in the victory of Jesus' resurrection. 
Because he is risen. Yes. When Jesus says he will do something, it will happen. He told the disciples that he was going to die. He was going to suffer and that he would rise from the grave. Why did they doubt? Maybe as a lesson for us to know that we don't have to walk in that doubt. See, the stone was rolled away. He is our hope in the face of death. Amen? This, a note of guarantee. So this is a note of guarantee that when you trust Jesus with your eternal well-being, it is in the hands of the one person that can save eternally. Jesus is solely able to save us, to restore relationship to us with God the Father. And so there's no reason to be resigned and defeated. The next thing that you see from these ladies is trembling and astonishment because they began to realize that Jesus did the things that he said he was going to do. It always makes me think of this. Why was it such a surprise? I remember when Becky and I first started date, uh, like it was our very first date. We had been friends for like two years and I had been asking her out for two years and she uh, said for a long time, but then she finally caved in and said, yes, praise the Lord. And I'll never forget our first date. We went to this little Italian restaurant and we were both, we'd been friends for two years. We were super comfortable with each other, but now we were on our first date and we were both terrified. We were trembling. I remember trying to hold a glass of water. I was like, oh man, she's so pretty. (laughs) And by the end of the night, they were like the, the waiters couldn't keep up with the amount of water that we were both drinking because we were so nervous. And then there were a lot of trips to the bathroom because we had drank all that water. We were so nervous. Why were we so nervous? We knew each other. We knew what, why we were there and we were such good friends. But it's so funny that we got so nervous. When we got asked uh, about the hope that is within us, we have to be able to articulate it clearly. And so there's kind of this sense. How many of you kind of get nervous that somebody might ask you how to become a Christian? I think a lot of us, how many, when I start to say, go and share your faith, you begin to tremble a little bit. You begin to shake a little bit. You're like, man, what would I say? What would I say? Man, why do we get so nervous when we have the fact of the the risen king? In fact, I I love that uh, the the panic of these women is met by the facts. What does the, the angel say, basically? Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. Like he starts to just lay out the facts of what has happened, right? He begins to lay out the facts. See, we meet our panic with the facts of what? What Jesus has done. What Jesus has done. So when we begin to freak out in life, what should we do? Remind ourselves of the fact of our our Lord and our King. So you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not there. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. See, there's kind of this idea that we would be able to offer in the, in the, the face of discouragement or in the face of panic. Is there a lot of panic in the streets today? You know how many times people come up to me and had that conversation about the end times? Like, is it the end times? And their knees are kind of like shaking a little bit. And like, is this it? Is America going to fold? What's going to happen next? They begin to panic. They start gluing themselves to 24-hour news because that's going to help, isn't it? 
But instead, see, the angel gave these ladies the facts about Christ and his resurrection. Christianity, if Christianity ever becomes about the format, then it is, it is wrong. We have to be about the facts of Christ. We have to stay stapled into the gospel. That makes me think that a lot of times, uh, well, we know that Jesus is going before us. We know he's going to give us opportunities to glorify him. Yes? Amen? Every day? You ever ask this? Jesus, go before me. Would you give me an opportunity to share faith with somebody around me? What does he typically do? He gives you that opportunity. It just freaks you out. And you try to like, I didn't see that, Jesus. <laughs> you ever do that? Like, I know that's probably that opportunity you're giving me, but I don't see that. Right? Well, there's the sense, what if we began to wake up in the morning and prepare for that opportunity? Because, again, we're walking in faith. We're preparing in hope. What if we prepared the details of the gospel? What if we prepared the details of what Christ has done in our life? How many of you have ever written out a testimony about what Jesus has done in your life? Do you have a written good? If you don't, man, this afternoon, sit down and write, what has Jesus done in your life? Where has he brought you? If you're a believer here, write that testimony down and be prepared to share it. Because he sent us out to be what? Witnesses. Witnesses. That means to be a witness, you have to see something. You have to experience something before you can share it, right? So there's this sense that if we lay out the facts, you can share the facts of what Jesus has done for you in your life. And then also, what if we became a people that knew? Uh, man, if you look at Barna surveys sometimes and you look at research studies about what Christians believe, it can be kind of heart-wrecking. And I've seen it because I'll walk around sometimes and ask people, what is the gospel? And they can't articulate it to me. They can't tell me the hope of Jesus Christ. Sometimes they'll tell me, well, I grew up in church. Sometimes they'll tell me I go to church. That's fine, but that's not the gospel. See, we need to be a people who has prepared how to share the gospel clearly. See the place that they laid him. It's time for us to do our research. See, I could stand up here a lot and I could preach sermons and I could try to give you really good information. But if you don't own this thing, if you don't start to read scripture for yourself, if you don't start to research the life and death and burial of res and resurrection of Jesus, it's not going to do you any good. You've got to own that part of your faith. Look into the persons of Christ for yourself. I dare you. Here's a pastor daring you. I dare you to look into this person, Jesus. I want you to research, to look in, to study when you have an opportunity. See, no person in history has been as scrutinized as Jesus has been, yet even scholars, even secular scholars have to admit that the cross and the resurrection happened. They just contest how it happened. Isn't that amazing? Most of your good historians will claim and say that Jesus did what he said he did, but they just, they kind of question about how he did it. A couple of great books. Let me give you a book. If you're writing down notes, um, where can I start to study, Shane? If you want me to do research on the facts of Christ, here's a great book. It's called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Have you read that book? Read that book. Here's another one, Cold Case Christianity. This is a cool one for those of you. Uh, this is a, a cold case investigator. You guys know what a cold case is? A cold case is uh, like a murder that happened many, many years ago and it was never solved. And so they have different principles that they do that in order to investigate these closed cases. Well, this, closed, this cold case investigator applied all of those principles for how they solve cold cases to 
the case of Christ. And you know what he came out with? He said everything about the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're exactly like what you would see in cold cases today. They are exactly like what you'd see. Eyewitness accounts. If this is the most important question to answer as humans, Christians should be able to point to the facts instead of remaining overwhelmed and unable to articulate what we believe. See, these women, they, they responded with alarm. But what if they were prepared? What if we were prepared for God to do exactly what he said he was going to do? And a lot of times I'll ask people, well, how do you know that, that, how do you believe? And a lot of us will say, I just do. Well, that's fine, but we live in a nation of Thomases, don't we? Doubting Thomases. You guys know that guy? Poor guy got a bad rap for the rest of history, didn't he? But how did Jesus meet Thomas? Did he meet Thomas with frustration in his requests? No. Jesus met Thomas's requests for proof. He said, Thomas, come put your finger in my side and in my hand, right? He met him with those proofs. Church, what if we were a people prepared to offer the proofs of our faith? What if we were a people that had done the research? And don't just say, you need to choose to believe, but instead we say, look, this is, this is reality. This is truth. Jesus really did raise from the grave. <clears throat> um, that takes me to, I worry more about people who don't ask questions much more than people who don't ask any question, uh, don't ask any at all. So if you're here and you have questions about Jesus, good. If you're here, and you have questions about your faith, good. If you're here and you're just coasting through Christianity and you've never researched, you don't have any questions about who God is, I'm worried about your faith. We need to be questioning and pursuing and looking into the hard questions we should test ourselves by asking, what are the hard questions about faith that I haven't considered? For a number of years, I enjoyed doing what, what I called in college ministry a tough questions night, and I hope to do one here sometime, where we'll just open it up to the community. And me and some other brave souls, probably Alan, um, will stand up here, and we will field any questions of the day about God, uh, about life in Christ, about the scriptures. Um, because tough questions are important. And if you have tough questions, we want to answer those with the facts. Here's some tough questions I wonder if you've, you've considered. The origins of Scripture. Anybody ever have this question? How can we trust the Bible? How can we trust that the Bible is true? I'm just going to throw out a couple of quick facts. Uh, we have this thing called textual criticism that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what we have, especially in the New Testament, is trustworthy and is the same thing that the apostles have. Isn't that amazing? Look it up, textual criticism. Now you're like, what is that? Thousands of manuscripts we have of the New Testament. We can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is reliable and true and the same thing that the apostles taught. No other historical document can boast this kind of certainty. Did you know that? No other document that we have today can boast that kind of certainty. How can, here's another tough question that maybe you've heard, maybe you haven't. How can we trust that the gospel accounts? How do we know that the disciples didn't just make up a lie? You ever had that one? Well, how many of you would be willing to die for a lie and die painfully for a lie? Because almost every one of the disciples didn't recant from their gospel eyewitness accounts all the way to their grave. 
They were completely convinced that he was everything that he said by the end of their lives. So how can we trust the gospel accounts? That's pretty convincing that they were willing, all of them, to give their lives. How can we know that Jesus isn't just a good religious story, but a historical proven event? You ever had that question? How can we know that? Did you know there are other historical writings outside of the Bible that confirm that Jesus lived and did the things that he did? The writings of Josephus, for example, are one of those. Um, and by the way, I, I get this as a pastor. Please, please, please don't tell me that you pay me. I had a guy tell me this one time, that you pay me to know all that stuff for you. Please don't tell me that. Because me knowing stuff doesn't help you share the gospel. It's my job to equip you for the work of the ministry. That's what you, according biblically, you pay me to equip you to do the ministry, not to wait for me to do it. <clears throat> for the believer that starts to see uh, Jesus move in their life, press into the promises of Christ. Don't pause at being overwhelmed. Sometimes we need that push to get over our fear. How many of you have ever needed somebody to, to kind of get behind you, need that coach figure in your life to push you further than you would actually probably go on your own? That's what we are to do as the church and see as, as this angel is giving the facts to these women, I think he's pushing them to do something beyond what they felt like they were capable. They were to tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. So the lesson for us from this is don't be panicked. Prepare. Prepare to share the gospel. Be ready because if you are ready, there will be opportunity. And for us to know that for everything, there is a season. Don't get too excited when things are... This is a really important principle for me in ministry and in life. Don't get too excited when things are going really well or too upset when things are going really poorly. Because for everything, there's a season, isn't there? There's a short time. See, we get that out of Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8 says, For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, everybody, amen to that, and a time to build up, a time to weep, can I get an amen, and a time to laugh, where's my laughter, there it is, <laughs> A time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, some of you need to hear that, and a time to speak, and some of you need to hear that one. A time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. That's out of Ecclesiastes. See, for everything there is a time and a season, but we can go into it without anxiety if we prepare and know the gospel. We can rest in the knowledge that it is finished. Say that with me. It is finished. Jesus is the one who does the work. There is nothing in this life that we can accomplish that is of eternal value apart from Jesus. We get that out of John 15. So ultimately, these women are charged by this angel to go and do something, and what did they do? If Mark is, is any indicator, they were afraid at first, and they didn't do what he called them to do. Anybody been there? Didn't do what you were called to do? Well, you know what the cool thing is? This gospel exists. So eventually, we know that the word got out, didn't it? 
the word finally got out. And, and so for us, we can take this kind of encouragement, the same thing that I did when I went on a mission and found out that Jesus doesn't really need me. It's just a privilege to go along with what he's doing. See, these women, they were frozen and afraid. We have the gospel today because they didn't stay this way. Fear is one of the number one factors for uh, why people don't share the gospel. Would you agree with that? I'd say fear. What are we afraid of? Well, we're, we're afraid of the response. We're afraid of losing the relationship with the people that we're sharing the gospel with. We're afraid of saying the wrong thing. Anybody there? We have fear of the consequences. What if they hate me because I try to share Jesus with them? Here's a question for you. Did Jesus rise from the grave? Did Jesus rise from the grave? Then what do you have to fear? Did Jesus rise from the grave? Then he will be sovereign over each interaction that you have with others. Did Jesus rise from the grave? Then he can even overcome the mistakes that you make. Aren't you so glad? He can overcome your mistakes. Oh, thank you, Lord. The lesson for us is to be bold, to, to walk out in boldness because that grave was empty. Even if we freeze, God will accomplish his purpose. He is the assurance when we fail. So the conclusion for us today is respond to the empty grave with faith. Respond to the empty grave with faith. So what? No matter what your guttural reaction is to Christ, he is the solution to what ails your faith. No matter who you are, uh, you, have to, you have to deal with this empty grave. Regardless of your background, how you respond to this historical truth is everything. Avoidance is a response, isn't it? Resignation, shock, or fear can all be responses. But let me pray that your response would be faith. Let me pray that our response would be faith. Um, small groups... Um, and if you're here and you're new, we have these things called small groups that are really incredible places to unpack your faith and to be encouraged by believers. And we ask questions each week in these. Um, the questions this week are, what are the roller coaster of emotions you have had, had or have had when you think of what Jesus did? And what keeps you from being a bold gospel sharer? What keeps you from being a bold gospel sharer? Brothers and sisters, I'm going to invite our band to come back up. And I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to do kind of a scary thing. Can I do a scary thing, church? I'm going to ask our Lord to give every one of you an opportunity in the next week to practice faith and to share the gospel. Is that mean? You guys with me on that? Can I pray that prayer for you? All right. But be, be prepared. Are you ready? Okay. Lord Jesus... I'm coming before you now, Lord, and I'm praying and asking for every person in here, Lord, would you give them, no matter their age, would you give them an opportunity to walk out in faith, not to act in doubt like the disciples did in the beginning, but Lord, instead for us to learn from that and to walk out in faith, ready and prepared to walk out in those opportunities that you give us. God, we want to be people of victory, walking in the victory of you raised from the grave. So Lord, we pray that you'd give us that kind of attitude moving forward in this week. And God, if there's somebody here who doesn't know you, God, I pray that today would be the day that they have to answer that hard question of who they say you are. And I pray that today, God, they would say that you are Lord, Savior, and Messiah. And that, God, you would save them, Lord. We pray that today would be the day of their salvation.
God, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.